Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. We believe that this message is going to open up the seals and cause you to have a deeper revelation into the Word of God that will make you see beyond the letters in the Word. Here is Dr. David. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we bless and exalt your holy name. We appreciate you once again for your goodwill, your love, your faithfulness and your commitment towards that which you have ordained for your people as a covenant keeping God. We come to receive instruction. We are asking God that you teach us and cause understanding to come to us and cause wisdom to be imparted to my listeners and everyone that is wearing via the internet. We bless and exhort you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to be starting a new series today, and I call this the Doctrine of Restitution. I don't know how many of you have heard about this before. Restitution. It's a major, major teaching or doctrine in certain quarters. Uh, but we want to examine exactly what it is. Because if restitution is what it is, the way we are taught, the way it's being spoken about, then I think the sacrifice of Jesus is in vain. Hallelujah. Uh, let's quickly look at uh, Exodus 22, verse 3. Let me just give simple definition of the word restitution. Exodus 22, verse 3. If the sun be risen upon him, there shall be blood and shed for him, for he shall make full restitution. If he had nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. In other words, if there's a thief, maybe we can just start from verse 2 or 1 and 2. Exodus 22, if you're there. Can you connect with me? It wasn't a technical. You're not there. All right. So that's exactly what he's trying to say. Here he's saying, for instance, if a thief is caught, and he's saying, if the son be risen upon him, there shall be bloodshed for him, for he shall make full restitution. If he have nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. Now the word restitution there in the, in the Greek, I mean the Hebrew, is a primitive word, which is shalom. It means to be saved in the mind, body, or estate. Figuratively means to be completed. By implication, to be friendly. It means to reciprocate. Exodus 22, I read 3. It means to reciprocate. By, I mean, to be friendly. And then it means to make amends. All of these things are the word restitution in the Hebrew. That is to be perfect, to recompense, to render, to requite, to make restitution, to restore and to reward. Is from the word shalom. Alright. So we find that restitution is an act or a condition of being restored. It means the restoration of something 
that is originally belonging to the owner or something like that. Hallelujah. Now, basically, restitution from this simple definition is making amend with those we have wronged, just like making peace with God. Restitution. Making amend with those that we have offended, or making peace with God in that sense. Hallelujah. We, we are going to touch a few persons in the scripture. What are Zacchaeus, um, which is one of the examples they have always used for restitution. If you look at Luke, I mean Leviticus 6, verse 2 to 5, it talks about restoring e-gotten wealth. And that is the framework at which Zacchaeus actually was doing the restitution that he did. Leviticus 6, 2-5. Hallelujah. Okay, so. One thing is very, very obvious. If we go through the Bible, we find that the church ordinarily cannot tell you to make restitution. It cannot. We are going to see more of that. It can give you guidelines on how to do restitution. But by the way, how many of you have heard about restitution before? Have you heard about that? Yeah. Good. I, I remember when I newly came to the faith and I was in this particular, one of the biggest denominations in this country. And this was one of the major topics that was being taught. And so they tell you, for your salvation to be complete, you got to do restitution. By implication, if you don't do restitution, your salvation is not complete. Your salvation is questionable. But there are many things we need to look at. As we're going to go on, we'll be able to see them. By implication, if you are working in a factory or in a company and you stole some money, it's expected that you return the money by the time you are born again. Is that okay? But the question is that, for instance, you were in a company and you stole like, let's just put it, 500,000 and then you become a Christian and now you don't have a job. How are you going to return the 500,000? And because you don't resolve that, then your salvation is not complete. Does it make sense? Because if you are working in a company before and you made so much money, fruitless manner and all that and that you are born again and they said except you return those money that you stole then your salvation is not complete so where are you now it makes a lot of people not to really have the full conviction about their salvation in Christ it brings fear into the heart of people they doubt their salvation and on the overall they don't have hope of heaven in quote and people be struggling with this in the church because of this teaching. Hallelujah. I remember when I was in youth service, doing youth service 1984, in Bauchi State, there was this young man that actually gave his life to Christ. And what's the next thing that happened? He went to the company where he was before. 
to do restitution by speaking to the management that he stole such amount of money. And the company said, well, if you stole this money, we need it now. And the guy doesn't have the money in the first place. So, but we need it. You stole the money, we need it now. He couldn't. They put him in cell. And now, the thing is, oh, he's suffering for righteousness sake, foolishness. Are you there with me? I, I think it's important we understand this. Um, if certain persons, for instance, are in a company and they make so much money through other people, you understand? Now, we are not encouraging uh, any of those things, but we're trying to say well, your salvation is not tied to your past life. It's not tied to your past life. Are you done with me? Praise God. Alright. Again, let's look at the book of Numbers, if you are there with me, Numbers 5, reading from verse 7. Bible said, Then shall they confess your sin, which they have done, and it shall recompense the transfers with the principal thereof, and add unto it the fifth part thereof, that's 20%, and give it unto him against whom he has transfers. But if the man have no kinsman to recompense the transfers, unto let the transfer be recompensed unto the Lord, even to the priest, beside the ram of the atonement, whereby an atonement shall be made for him. Restitution to the priest in place of a dead person, for instance. So think about it this way. Here he's saying that if you want to do restitution, you bring 20% of what you, either you stole or as the case may be. You're taking this back. And you're not just doing that. You're making I ram along with it, which is an atonement. Hallelujah. Now, it's important we give heed to what God is teaching in His Word. According to Miriam Wester Dictionary, Restitution can simply be defined as the act of returning or restoring to a person something or right of which he had been unjustly deprived. This is Webster Dictionary. It means the act of making good or giving an equivalent for any loss, damage or injury other definition includes compensation for stolen property, damage or lost property or physical harm paid by the person responsible to the owner of the property or to the person who suffered the physical harm. By implication, if you cause another person loss in any way, whether physically or monetarily, Restitution is making right the wrong or restoring that person to the position they were before they caused the injury. This is how Merriam Webster defined restitution. And like I said, it's a major, major doctrine of certain denominations, even in this country. So much so that I would say they don't play with it. 
And I remember encountering that in our Sunday school in those days, around 1989, when I was attending one of the denominations in this country. It becomes such a major, major subject in several quarters, like I'm saying. And the belief, like I said, is a basic requirement for your salvation. It's a basic requirement for your salvation. That means you are paying for the wrong you've done. Uh, sometimes I used to ask this question, what, what about somebody like Apostle Paul? How can he restitute for the people he killed? Before he became a Christian, he was killing people. So, if restitution making is to make right what you wronged before you became a Christian, then I don't know how possible was going to resurrect all the husbands of the people he killed to those people in the name of restitution. How can he quantify what he did? Praise God. If, for instance, you 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 stole money some years back. The value now must have risen. And you are not going to restitute that. You restitute based on the present value of what you stole. Hallelujah. So, like I said, a lot of denominations are making it a major requirement, but I think it's a very big problem. A very big problem. And it generates some kind of absurdity. It is, when something is absurd, it is foolish. You see, when you begin to put this kind of condition as a standard or a for people to accept their salvation in Christ, which is freely given, it becomes a problem. Praise the Lord. Okay. There are some people today who sleep around with even people's wives, as the case may be. Now you got saved. Would it be bold to go and meet the husband of that person that I know I've been sleeping with your wife? I'm sorry, forgive me. Now you're talking about restitution. People don't understand what they are dealing with. They, they just, you see, the truth is restitution is impracticable. Why did I start teaching this? Last week I read online a young man got converted and he has to do restitution so he wrote a letter to Waik West Africa's Medical Council that he cheated during the examination so he should be forgiven and Waik replied him to say you cheated you are not just bringing the certificate that we give to you you are also bringing the one you obtained from the higher institution because without the first one, you couldn't have gotten the second one. So bring everything. I mean, last week I read this. Is he stupid at this? Why I told him that? No, we are not just taking the white certificate from you. No, you have obtained a degree through the forged certificate. So you must return even the degree that you obtained. Then you do restitution. You see that? That's how terrible this doctrine is. Killing people. Praise the Lord. Let's think about what happens to the policemen all over the place. They've been collecting, let's say, 50, 15 naira, whatever. You've been doing that for years. And finally, you give your life to Christ. 
how are you going to go back to give the 50-50 naira you collected to all the drivers you've collecting them from? How are you going to do that? Are you going to go to the street, stand by with some 15 naira in your hand, see driver passing by, say, I think I collected from you, take your 15 naira and born again. Praise God. What about, for instance, and this one is very critical. We have a lot of Muslims today who are married to maybe two or three wives. Is that as the case may be? When they give their life to Christ, what are you expecting of them? Are they going to send back maybe three? If you have four, they're going to send back three, or whatever the case may be. You can see how stupid this doctrine really is. I'll make you see something. When I was in that denomination, like I said, in River State to be precise, Jankrama, this doctrine was so strong in that denomination that I was, that a fellow teacher with me in the school, he was the first son of the father. And, you know, in our villages, those things, they don't really give a damn about all of those things. The father was with the mother, and normally their marriage is like, you take drink to the parents of the girl and you just cohabit. So this, the, the mother of this, my friend, a co-teacher, now was the first wife to the father. At a stage, the woman told the man that I would like you to have another wife. And she worked and money together with the husband and they went against another person. And bring her in as the second wife. Now, when they repented, this young man, my friend, was actually the person that repented, and he told the mother and told the family that she come and join the church. When the father got to the church, they told the father that you have to do restitution, that you paid the bright price on your second wife, you didn't pay on the first wife. So the second wife is your wife. The first wife is not your wife. So you must send her away. And true to the fact, the man sent the wife away from the house. And he called that restitution because he wants to make heaven. I called my friend and said, I expect you with your level of education to know better than your father. Where is your mother going to now at her age? Sending her away from the, your father. And you, you really stood by that doctrine and allowed that to happen as a first son. And he told me, yes, it is very biblical. And uh, they find the book of Genesis chapter 20. The example they gave to me. So I look at Genesis chapter 20, verse number 4. Reading from verse 4. Genesis 21 verse number 4. But Abimelech, you remember the story of Abraham, Sarah and Abimelech, right? Abimelech was the king. But Abimelech had not come near her and he said, Lord, without slay also a righteous nation said he not unto me she is my sister and she even said herself he is my brother and the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands have I done this? 
And then he said, verse 6, And God said unto him in a dream, Yeah, I know that thou did this in the integrity of thy heart, for I also withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore suffer I not thee to torture. Therefore, now therefore restore, now this is what they call restitution, restore the man his wife. And I want you to follow the language of God. Restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet, and he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live. And if thou restore her not, thou, sh- thou and thou shalt suffer death, thou and all that are dying. Therefore Abimelech rose early in the morning, called all his servants, as the case may be, and they restore Sarah unto who? Unto Abraham. The question I ask my friend is this. Number one, Abimelech didn't sleep with Sarah. So you can't say Sarah was Abimelech's wife. That's the first point. Number two, God told Abimelech who to send Sarah to. So your mother, who is your father sending your mother to? You're going to answer the question. Number three, God said, restore Sarah, let the man pray for you. Who is praying for your father? You're going to answer. So, you can't even use Genesis 20 to prove the doctrine of restitution. It didn't work. You understand what I'm saying? God mentioned the man that owns the wife. God said, restore this woman to that man. God said, I make sure you didn't sleep with that woman. God said, go and let the man pray for you. Look at all the conditions there. How do you practice that? But that was the case. My friend, the mother lost the marriage because they have to practice restitution to enable them to go to heaven. It's sheer foolishness. Hallelujah. We're going to deal with this more later, but anyway. But let's read that. Go with me to First Corinthians. Take it from NLT. First Corinthians 7 verse 18. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 18. Is any man called being circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Is anyone called? What is that? Okay. Can we go now? For instance, a man who was circumcised before he became a believer should not try to reverse it. Listen to that very closely. And the man who was uncircumcised when he became a believer should not be circumcised now. Go ahead. And he said, for it makes no difference whether or not a man has been circumcised. The important thing is to keep God's commandment. And the next thing says, yes, each of you should remain as you were when God called you. I don't know if you are getting that. Each of you should remain as you were when God called you. Just go ahead a little bit. Are you a slave? Don't let that worry you. But if you get a chance to be free, take it. And the next one says, And remember, if you were a slave when the Lord called you, you are now free in the Lord. And if you were free when the Lord called you, you are now slave of who? Of Christ. But the important thing I want you to see there is remain wherever you were 
when God called you. And then the question you're going to ask me is, Pastor David, are you not saying if somebody had two wives before he got to know the Lord, it should remain so? That's exactly what the Bible is saying. <laughs> As we go on, I will make you see that. Timothy was writing to the Corinthians. And even, I mean, Paul writing to the Corinthians, I mean, instructing Timothy, who was pastor in Ephesus as well. He told him, if anyone desire the office of a bishop, let him be what? A husband of one wife. That is to say, there were people there that were polygamous. I don't think I get in that. But now they want to become pastors or deacons. God said, no, it has to be one wife for you to attend to that office. What about the man that doesn't want to go into the office? Am I making sense to you? Wherever you are, remain so and serve God. I remember around 2008 or thereabouts, there was this family in Lagos. The man had two wives, and they were so close, so knitted, and they got converted. And so, the man was the one that went to the pastor and said, listen to me. I want to serve God, and I don't want to let any of my wives go. Will you allow me to serve God here? And the pastor said, you are welcome. Other pastors start criticizing this man. But at the end of the day, that man and the family, they were the most faithful people in the church. The two women were always there cleaning the church every day. The man said, I've read the Bible a little bit. I'm not attending or desiring the office of a pastor or a bishop. But I want to serve God and I don't want to lose any of my family members because I want to serve God. Praise the Lord. So like we find in Genesis 20, it doesn't make sense in any way. All of those things, calling it restitution, makes no sense. You are saved by grace. And God says at the stage where, where you were saved, remain so. Don't desire to be somebody else or something else. Hallelujah. Truth be told, going back to correct wrongs, if required to receive, I mean, for you to be saved, then the free gift of God is of no effect. That is to say, you're trying to do something to be able to marry the salvation that Christ given to you. Praise God. You can see why Apostle Paul didn't bother himself about anything called restitution when the Lord picked him. The stage where live from there. That's what he said. The way you were before you were called, stay there, go ahead, live your new life, have freedom in your spirit, that you are saved by grace. Hallelujah. Now, my friend, unfortunately, 
Like I said, I will say the mother lost the family or lost the marriage. And <laughs> unfortunately, religiously too, they'll be very happy that they are making heaven. Like I'm going to ask my friend, okay, your mother is no longer with your father. Can your mother still attend the church? So if your mother and yourself and the Gino wife are making heaven, I mean your father, yourself and the Gino wife are making heaven, where is your mother now? Praise God. One thing we got to understand is this. In every country, there are laws and rules that guide the people. The principle of restitution in Israel was that which was under God. It was a theocratic society. Right? And God made the rules and said, He doesn't want, you see, all of those things like judicial. We have the judicial rules, we have the ceremonial rules. Is that okay? Right. Animal sacrifices, those are ceremonials. Then, judicial, we have to do with the law, has to do with this part of what we are dealing with, which is called constitution. And so, we find that anytime somebody does something wrong, as a Jew, God now made those laws so that you pay back. And it is meant to protect the society, to protect the people, to protect own properties that are owned by people. These were laws that were meant to protect those things. It's like, it's like saying today, in our country, you don't have to be a thief. Is that okay? If you steal and they catch you, they take you to prison. Yes. For God's own case with the Jews, you steal somebody's property, you have to return it and pay extra. It was simply a law to get the society going. Not a religious doctrine. Hallelujah. For instance, a thief or a froster or a misappropriator, a misappropriate somebody's money, but not be allowed to keep what he took. Return it. That's what he's saying. So, under Israel theocratic government, if for instance, all these commas you see today, Yahoo and all that. Is that okay? If you catch ones, any one of them is caught, you return the money back to the person you scammed. That is just it. God just wanted to build, you know, a free society that is free from crime, stealing, misappropriation. For instance, let's look again. Exodus 22 verse number 10. Carry from any translation you want. Exodus 22 verse number 10. Praise God. All right, we'll read up to verse 13. If a man gives a donkey, an ox, or a sheep, or any other animal to his neighbor for safekeeping, and he dies, or is injured, or is taken away, while no one is looking, the issue between them will be settled by the taking of an oath before the Lord. That the neighbor didn't lay hands on the other person's property. The owner is to accept this. 
and no restitution is required. Go down. But if the animal was stolen from the neighbor, he must make restitution unto the owner. Did you get that? Praise the Lord. Restitution has to be made. You know what God is saying? Look at this. 13. Go to verse 13. If it was torn to pieces by a wild animal, it should bring in the remains evidence and it will not be required to pay for the torn animal. Did you look at the picture. Now what God is doing here is I have to, I have to be trusting you by giving you my property animal to keep you have to have that confidence that I can protect my brother's animal if it is torn by a wild animal or something like that you don't pay back but if you come to say the animal is stolen just to prove that of a truth somebody else did it Come and take an oath. Swear before God that you did not do it. Are you getting that? Now, if somebody else took it and you did not, as it were, recover it, whatever the case may be, it means you were not faithful enough to keep your neighbor's property. So pay back the animal to your neighbor. That's restitution. And God did all this. To have a sane society. Go with me. Proverbs 6 verse 30. And 31. Misappropriating permanent property. Or somebody gives you money to keep. Then you come telling stories. How the money has been stolen. Whatever the case may be. God said no you can't do that. Pay back the person's money. You understand that? Pay back the person's money. If, if restitution were to be practiced the way it's supposed to be, not in relation to salvation, all of these things were judicial laws. They're not tied to salvation. They were principle of governance as far as Israel was concerned. But like those who do forex trading, whatever the case may be, it's like somebody is giving you your money to keep, giving his money to keep, and then you come and say, well, the thing collapsed, whatever. If you go by this law, God is going to say, no, you must pay back the money. Because he gave you to keep. You have to be able to be trust in keeping somebody's property. Are you there with me? Look at this. Man, do not despise a thief. If he steals to satisfy his soul when he's hungry. Hmm? Look at the next thing. And he said, but if he be found, he shall restore sevenfold. He shall give all the substance of his house. Now this will stop people from stealing. Did you get that? I'm saying restitution and practice in Israel have nothing to do with salvation. That's to do with keeping the society sane, morally right. They are moral principles. Praise the Lord. Restitution. Actually means the man who suffered loss of asset by fire as rather of negligence of his neighbor must be compensated for his loss. Another face. Look at Exodus 22 again verse number 6. Exodus 20 verse number 6. And then um, it says, 
fire break out and catching tongues so that the stacks of corn or the standing corn of the field be consumed. Therewith, he that kindled the fire shall surely make what? Restitution. You're going to pay back. This one is, you have to be careful so that you don't allow the fire that you set up to consume another man's farm. It can't suffer love because of your negligence. That's what God is saying. No man is allowed to suffer love because of your negligence. So if you cannot control the fire you set up and it consumes somebody's farm, you're going to pay back what belongs to the man. This alone will make you to be careful. Amen? Another thing is, if by your negligence you allow your animal or so to destroy another man's field, you're going to pay back. So again, Exodus 22 verse 5. Look at that. 22 verse 5, Exodus. If a man shall cause a field of fire to be eaten, and shall put in his beast, and shall feed in another man's field, of the best of his own field, and of the best of his own vineyard, shall he make what? Restitution. So, just like we're crying about all these full and ears men going to eat people's farm. Are you getting what I'm talking about now? And God said, if you allow full and husband to eat your farm, full and must pay back. It's just to balance society. Nothing to do with salvation. You see what I mean? So now, if you have an animals that are grazing, you are going to be careful where you lead them to. This law will make you not to allow your animals to go to another man's farm to eat them up or to destroy them. Are you following what I'm saying? Because you know if that happens, you are going to pay back. Praise the Lord. Alright, so that is restitution. Um, okay. Again, look at Exodus 21 verse 28. Exodus 21 verse 28. Up to 31. Okay, we're going as far as 32 and 33. Exodus 21, 28. If an ox got a man or a woman that they die, then the ox shall be surely stoned and his flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be quit. Go ahead. And he said, But if the ox were wont to push with his own in time past and had been tested to his owner and he had not kept him in but that he had killed a man or a woman the all shall be stoned and his owner also shall be put to death did you get that you are an animal that is running after people all the time and you don't keep it and perhaps then he went foolishly and killed somebody else you will die that's restitution. An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You see that? Okay, look at the next thing. And if there be laid on him a sum of money, then he shall give for the ransom of his life whatever is laid upon him. In other words, if you don't want to die, there's equivalent amount of money that you have to pay for the person that your animal killed. This one will make you to keep your dogs well. I don't know if you're getting that. Praise the Lord. Look at verse 33. Okay, 31, 33, whatever. Just go to 33. Whether you have a God, a son, or have God, a daughter, according to the judgment, shall be done unto him. 
So the value of what your animal destroyed is the value that you are going to pay back to the owner. Did you get that? That is restitution to balance the society. Again, we'll find out that there's a civil penalty in the form of percentage of value and it's attached to fraud, misappropriation, and negligence. That's what we said before. So for instance, let's look at Second Samuel chapter 12 and we'll look at verse 1 up to... That's, that's a little bit of a long reading. Um, let me read here. You can follow that up. I want to read a little bit fast here. Second Samuel chapter 12 verse 1. And the Lord said unto Nathan and unto David, And he came unto him, and he said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, But the poor man had nothing save one little a lamb which he had bought. And nourished up, and he grew up together with him and with his children. He did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup, and lay in his bosom, and was unto him a daughter as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spake to take of his own flock and of his own herb to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that have done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. And he has sent to David that other man. Thus here the Lord God of Israel, anointed you king over Israel, and delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house, and thy master's wife, into their bosom and give them the house of Israel and of Judah. And if they had been too little, I would have, I mean, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such sin. Wherefore hast thou, despite the commandment of the Lord, to do evil in his sight, that thou hast killed Uriah's wife the Hittite? Are you getting the story? Now David was the one that jumped up and said, Damn man, must surely die. And Nathan said, You are the one. Did you get that? And the language of Moses, I mean, David was, he will restore for food. In other words, misappropriating people's property, abusing people's property, you pay back. These were meant to serve as checks and balances in the way we behave in the society. That is what restitution was actually all about. Praise the living God. Are we still here? All right, let me just say this. And then we'll close for today. So like I said, Israel was a theocratic society. That is to say, a, a government by God. It was God that was governing Israel. Not, uh, it was not the political system like, what do you call it, uh, democracy or parliamentarian or monarchy. It was more of monarch, but the, the truth said, it was God that was their president, if you want to use the word. You understand that? Remember in the days of Samuel when they went to him and said, we need a king like other nations. And God had to say, well, Samuel, they have not rejected you, they rejected me. Give them the king. But this is what the king is going to do to you and your children and your family. Remember that? Right. So, God said, it's neither rejected as their king. And I've already been saying that before. Thank you, Jesus. You see, God ordinarily Never for once taught himself to be seen as a king. 
But as a father. He was a father to Adam and Eve. Is that okay? God said, the people came and said, Look, give us a king like other nations. So God was like, okay, fine. You have respect for other kings because you feel they are strong and whatever the case may be. So for you are not as strong as those people. I think that is when God began to refer to himself as a king. Alright, it was a family. So when Jesus came and he said, Pray our Father which are in heaven. It is a pray to the king. Pray to our father. Are you still there with me? And when the scripture begins to say king of kings and lord of lords, you begin to understand. He is now a king of all the kings of the universe. By implication, if you used to respect kings before, respect me as one. Because I'm the king of all the kings and the lord of all the lords. Right, God was not interested in trying to refer to himself as a king. God was a family man. I don't hear myself begin to make my children feel that I'm a king. I don't have to make them feel that. I am a father. They are my children. We are one family. You see what I mean? Praise God. So, this was a theocratic society ruled by God himself. You know, and then they have the state religion where they were places in so both the political structure and the religious structure they were interwoven, they worked together so all of this constitutional restitution we are talking about were meant to guide the society, if you will politically praise the Lord, so God was actually a God as well, a civil and a spiritual ruler of Israel, he was both a civil and a spiritual governor of Israel. Praise the Lord. An offense against the law was both spiritual and civil. Because all the restrictions we're talking about, they are civil laws to make the society a same one. Praise God. Are you there with me? Praise the Lord. Okay. So that is why if you commit any crime, in this regard, you discover that like we read in the book of Numbers chapter 5, you do not only restore, you also have to make an atonement. So the religious aspect and the civil aspect, they come together for the offense you committed in terms of restitution. Are you following what I'm saying now? Right. So all I'm trying to make you see today is this. Restitution was a civil segment of the theocratic structure of Israel from the religious perspective. And God used that as laws to guide the people. To prevent people from abusing other people's right privileges and taking advantage of their neighbors. That is what restitution was meant for. It had nothing one bit to do with salvation in the New Testament. So, when people talk about restitution today, in the manner with which they preach it, they are actually violating the principles of God's word. Because restitution 
have nothing to do with your fate in terms of salvation. You don't restitute anything if you have to accept Christ. Wherever you are, start from there. Scripture says, you are a new creature. All things are passed away. Let nobody make you act foolishly like that young man who went to work office to say he's told to write exam. And they think work is going to say, oh, you do well. Right? And they say, okay, thank you for cheating and writing the exam. Can you please get your degree? Because without our certificate, you wouldn't have been able to obtain your degree. So we need your degree and we need your certificate. Then you are clean. You see what I mean? That's the foolishness of the doctrine of restitution. The way we preach it. But I'm trying to make us understand that you don't think about anything that you have ever done. Not one bit. And again, I, I, I had another friend during the youth service. Uh, we were all staying together in the Bounty State Hotel at that time as coppers. And when he was leaving, he left it almost everything that was given to him. The bed sheet, the spoons, all of those things that were given to him. They were actually meant for him to use them in the, the chariot and leave them. But he took them along. Now, he became a Christian. And he got to me and he said, David, I got a problem. I said, what's the problem? He said, remember we're together in Bautista? I said, yes. I came back home with a couple of things. Now, they said I should make restitution. I said, wonderful. Put them together and make sure they are not older than the way you pick them. And then bought a vehicle to Bautista and take them to the hotel management and tell them you stole those things or you took those things away when you left your service. And then the outcome is yours. Because I perceive strongly if you do that, you are going to pay back everything. You may not return from Bautista State. You don't need all that. You are saved, you are saved. Wherever you are called, during, abide. Praise God somebody. Thank you for listening to Dr. David Ogaga. We know you have been blessed by this station. You can share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information, inquiries, and free downloads, please visit www.davidogaga.org or you can send us an email admin at gkai.net. God bless you.